Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This is episode four, part two. Make sure you listen to part one so you understand the full details of our interview with Cameron Sterrett. Okay, so you had this Peace Corps experience. You were out there doing all these projects, working with children, and then, you know, the bomb drops, right? Right. Coronavirus. How did you hear yeah. about coronavirus? I mean, if you had no cell phone reception, no electricity, what, what was your understanding? Uh, I was able to check my phone every... I had, Well, I had to check my phone every single day. Um, and we will learn momentarily why that's important. But I, I had to check my phone every day. Peace Corps requires uh, it. Yes. Interesting. I think, yeah. In I, I can't really speak to the rules around the world, but in Panama, you had to check it every day. And people had satellite phones and things like that. But um, so uh, it was really strange in my community. There was no cell phone signal except for this one hill. And then on that hill, I had like three bars of, of uh, LTE. It was mm. pretty incredible. So I could go up there and make a WhatsApp call even. Um, so a, what? a WhatsApp oh, call? Dude, I, have, I don't even know. What the, people use that. I have no idea what that Every, is. People use it all over the world. Sorry, man. <laughs> it is, yeah. I cannot it keep is. up. Like, yeah. I'm it uses much. data signal. It doesn't use cell signal. So you don't need to buy a cell phone plan. You could just have a data plan when you oh, okay. everyone uses it. Yeah. Anyway, so um, but to answer your question, how did I hear hear of Corona? Um, I heard of it through just uh, podcasts that I listened to, and people, you know, people talk about it. It was on the news in Panama. It was on the radio. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how I figured it out. And you know, we started talking about it within my friends, the Peace Corps friends that I had. I'd be at their house, and I remember being at one of my friend's house nearby and feeling pretty helpless because you know I, I didn't really want to talk about it anymore and everybody wanted to talk about it but I just felt like I was like there's nothing I can do so what what point. are we talking about I'm not learning yeah. anything you know I'm not you know we're not gonna fix it right here right now and I'm there's nothing more to learn so let's let's stop talking about it and I think that kind of goes back to you know, applying to Peace Corps and AmeriCorps back in 2016, like seeing all these bad things happening and uh, refusing to feel helpless, you know? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that and saying like in the moment, this is kind of like our approach, right? A little bit in our family, like, okay, like this is what's happening. We're kind of going to roll with the punches and see what happens, um, do everything prudently. My problem is when like a business owner or uh, a leader of a congregation is talking to me and says, Hey, like, what else can we do? Well, you haven't done much, right? You know, like a business owner. What's your continuity of operations plan? What's your delegation of authorities? If you get sick, you know who who's going to yeah. run your business? And so there's like a lot of things people should do as leaders. Like going back to that leader conversation, but as individuals, sometimes you just have to like kind of roll with it and you know just let it let dogs yeah. lie where they lie, right? Like, yeah, there's definitely you have to be pretty critical. Uh, you have to think pretty crit critically about what it is you can do and what you should be doing, especially if you know something like a business order where other people are depending on you and 
you know, if, God forbid, you get sick, you should, that's something you should be doing is preparing people who depend on you. Um, and, you know, in, especially at that point in Panama when, when I had no money and, you know, there was just nothing else for us to be doing, that's, I, you know, feeling pretty helpless at that point for sure. Yeah. So what went for, what, how did it go from helpless to now I'm evacuating? What was the time um, frame there? Okay, so I probably heard about it in the beginning, probably the late February I heard about it. You know, people weren't really talking about it around Valentine's Day or um, not exactly Valentine's Day talk, you know. Yeah, hey. But, uh, <laughs> wrong kind of but, corona, uh, yeah. Wrong kind of, yeah. So I, I, I couldn't give you an exact date, but I definitely, people were talking about it in Panama specifically in late February. And then... We things started to get more serious. I think schools in at least in Ohio started to get canceled, and that's when the Peace Corps office put us on a stand fast alert, which means you have to stay in your community and you have to be checking your phone about every twelve hours. So we, you can't leave to go get groceries. You can't go visit somebody else, uh, another Peace Corps friend. You can't go to the provincial capitals. Nothing. So we had about four days of that, and then a then one Sunday night, I was at my cell hill, as I usually am, and then I leave at about 6.30. I, you know, I'm just kind of shooting the breeze with my friends, and I leave the cell hill, go to my house, cook dinner. When you say your friends, are you talking about Peace Corps? I was on my... It's that, that time specifically... When I was at my cell hill, yeah, I talked to my Peace Corps friends. So there was in, in uh, a, Peace Corps people like in adjacent villages then. It in not walking distance. I would talk to them on my phone. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah, got it. At the cell hill, yeah. Um, so yeah, that night I went home at about six thirty. Um, cook dinner, go to bed. No big deal. And then I wake up in the morning at about seven fifteen, and uh, I see that I left the dirty dishes in the sink. You know, save your judgment. I left the dirty dishes <laughs> in the sink, and uh, I noticed that I was out of dish soap. So I was like, so my plan originally was to make breakfast and then go to the cell hill to check my phone because I had to be checking it. So I was like, oh, I'm out of dish soap. I'll go to the cell hill first and then grab some soap at the store on the way back. In my community, there's a little like general store that I buy the stuff at. So yeah. I get to my cell hill at about 7:30, turn my phone on, and. I get about 250 text text messages that Monday morning. Oh, my gosh. What happened overnight was at about 8 o'clock, they put out the evacuation notice where it said, get to Panama City, the capital, as soon as you can. And people were moving quickly to the point where they were flying from one end of the country to Panama City. So flying from the provincial capital that neighbors Costa Rica Mm -hmm. all the way to Panama City. Um, that's how quickly people were moving. And I found out at 7.30 in the morning so the next day. So almost 12 hours after. So almost 12 hours. Jeez. And people were very concerned about me specifically because they knew I had my, – my site was a very tough access site. Uh, there was no public transportation. The road was made of dirt, and uh, it was a tough act. You couldn't get there unless you had four-wheel drive. So awesome. people were worried about getting a hold of me and getting me out. And Helicopter shows up. Yeah, well, so what had happened, so we, I get about 250 messages on my phone and I call my, and so uh, there's so much information. I didn't know what was going on. 
I, I saw evacuation and I, but I didn't know it was the most up-to-date information. So I call my immediate supervisor. I say, Andy, like, what is happening? She said, ministry, we're evacuating. You have to get to Panama City as soon as you can. The Ministry of Environment sent a car for you to, to your community to get you. Whoa. And I ask where they left from and when they left. And um, based on those two pieces of information, I figured out that they were going to be there in about 30 minutes. Whoa. So I kind of, yeah. So I hang up the phone and I run back to my house and I pack up everything I have. Um, I stop at my the home of my community guide. Each volunteer has somebody that comes and comes to Panama City to pick them up and uh, is kind of their cultural informant. Wait, did you leave those dirty dishes? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I do not reserve. I do not. I, I judge you, I, sir. Excuse me, John. How I dare was you? trying to move quickly. So I, yeah, I left those dirty dishes. So I run back. I tell my Wash guide. Your yeah. No, I, you don't understand. So I get back to my house. I. I have a I in AmeriCorps they issued us those big cylindrical military issue duffel bags. So I right. put everything I can in that bag. I put a bunch of stuff in. I left these gifts that I had for my parents. I left, um, I left a bunch of stuff. But uh, so I put everything I can in these bags. Don't do the dishes because I had making it. I I I I had situational like awareness. On the, on the, no, the, I left. Sorry for the- I left all sorts of things. Whoever's doing those dishes is keeping the dishes. So they can, I think they win. So my guide didn't really understand when I told her what was going on. I told her that we're leaving. She was like, oh, like, yeah, you're leaving in three weeks. And I said, no, I'm leaving yesterday. I'm leaving right now. And uh, so I pack my stuff up and she comes up to my porch too. And she's kind of helping me get my stuff together. Um... So I'm leaving all my stuff in my house. I have a bed in there that I was going to give to my host family, my stove I was going to give to her, a bunch of stuff. And I don't have time to pass all that stuff out. So I have a combination lock on my house, you know, one of those dials. And I had that because people don't really use those in, in my community. And the, the key locks were pretty bad. So right. that's what I was using. And no one else really knew how to use it. So I spent five of those minutes trying to teach my community guide how to use the combination lock. And they're not as intuitive as they look, you know? Like, they're pretty hard. So... Yeah, it's interesting. We've I, never used that before. It's, yeah, it, they're not as... Yeah, they're not intuitive. Because you have to go opposite the direction, yeah. So. Yeah, there's a whole thing. It takes practice. I remember in sixth grade, it's getting a locker. That was a whole That was a whole day, learning how to do that. But anyway, a so... A whole day. <laughs> they were... So, in the Ministry of Environment, uh, Ministry of Environment car showed up. And, yeah, he said, get in. We're going home. Uh, so I got in, and I had the car stop near my host family's home, and I said bye to them, and that was pretty rough getting uh, doing that. And leaving the community, I, the thing I felt m- most was um, I definitely felt guilty. I felt like I was abandoning them when, when um, times got tough, you know, yeah. because I was there, and I was trying to integrate myself as much as humanly possible, I was, you know, doing, I was going to all of their events. I was going to all of their birthdays. They did stuff for my birthday, you know, things like that. Um, where, where, you know, 
in, in now I had to leave in 30 minutes and I felt like I was just kind of hanging them up to dry when the going got tough. Um, missed out on, they were going to have a goodbye party for me. I was going to give everybody, give away a bunch of my belongings, my bed, my, you know, my mosquito nets that were really going to, you know, things like that could really make a difference in people's life. And I was excited to go through that process. And I think that would give me a lot of closure, but you know, that's not the way it worked out. But, uh, but no, I got, I was happy. I got to say bye to my host family. Um, and then, yeah, I, that's pretty much how I got out of my community. And then getting from Panama city to the U S was a whole different ordeal. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about your host family, my heart was breaking for you because I had these very similar thoughts the first time I came home from Japan. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm also grew up in Ohio, so go Bucks. But Go uh, Bucks. Oh, hey, look, look at that. You're, <laughs> you come around. But, right. uh, you know. Yeah, there's there are a few. There's a short list of people who see you at a more vulnerable position than your host families. You know, you yeah. don't. If you don't speak the language, you know how. You don't know how to get around. You don't know anything. You feel it's so good, helpless. And yeah. working through them with that, I never thought I was able. To, I would. I would ever be able to go back. I, I. At the time, I was didn't have a college degree, and I didn't know all these things. And so I, I just thought, oh my gosh, like I'm this poor kid from Ohio. I had this crazy experience to be able to go to Japan. Like I'm never going to be able to see these people again, and. Like just having to to leave was just rough, and so yeah. In your circumstance, I mean, ten times harder, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of and a lot of people, I I I didn't have this problem as problem as much, but I have a lot of Peace Corps friends now that Peace Corps was just such a huge, and I'm sure it was with you and your service. Peace Corps became such a part of their identity, oh, and yeah. I was lucky where I was only taken out three weeks early, but a lot of people were taken out. A, like, you know, a year and three weeks or even, you know, a year and a half, a year early and just like getting your world turned upside down, you know, for, and it's, and it's an, an indefinite right now. They, the only information that was given out to people reinstating is that they won't be back before October. That's, huh. and everyone officially closed their service. There was no, you know, it's, it's a pretty grim situation for people who didn't have as much of a plan as I did when they left. Yeah, I mean, at least luckily you were able to, you know, see ahead a little bit. Yeah, I was pretty, I was, yeah, I was ready to get home in three weeks. So I had a little, I had um, a lead on a job and I also, I was in a lucky position where I could just come home to my parents' house anytime I wanted to. And, you know, it's just not everyone's situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have so I have so many thoughts about my own uh, volunteer experiences, where it's just like, you know, that that identity thing, the whatever. I mean, just flood of emotions over here too. So I can, I mean, I feel for you. So I just want to thank you so much for you know being part of the Peace Corps, and having that experience. But you, uh, you had more crazy experiences from there, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so getting out of my community, I was I was the last one out of my sector in Panama, there was about 15, I guess there was about 50 in my set in my work sector. And I was the last one to get the notification. So in my provincial capital, there was about Wait, 30 people waiting for me. You had an extra 12 hours than everybody else essentially because right. 
I guess, and I got, I got, I saw all my friends, and they were, and they said, I didn't sleep at all last night. I was freaking out. I was crying all night, and I said, I slept like a baby last night. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Yeah, the next yeah. twelve hours, and you still didn't do the dishes. Nope, not me. So you get, <laughs> you get into Panama City, right? And uh, so, so I get out of my sight originally, and um, one of my so every in. in so the Ministry of Environment went out of their way. They had, no one from Peace Corps asked them to do this. Just one of our, one of my colleagues uh, sent a car for me because he knew I was going to need it. So they're one of the heroes in this story for sure. Uh, so they sent a car for me, and then that same guy organized a bus to take about 30 of us on a private bus from our provincial capital through like the five-hour drive to Panama City. Um, and I heard there was, there was this bus, and I was in this car with bad cell reception, and I heard there was a bus, and I'm trying to text somebody, so like, wait for me, I, I need to get on this bus, I don't want to take public transport alone all the way to Panama City, like, that would be the worst, uh, well, all my friends are on this bus, so I was, like, begging, I was like, guys, someone's got to lay down in front of the bus, like, someone's got to do this. <laughs> do and not I'm, take off, yeah. And I was just in, like, and I think I, pr- I probably picked this up from you or my dad, and I just was talking to people i was like who is in charge tell me <laughs> tell me who tells this bus driver to put his foot on the pedal like who is pulling the trigger here yeah and and i found the person that went and it was my friend blanca who kind of just stepped up to the plate and she was like i'm gonna lay down in front of the bus so we don't leave you but anyway so i get on the bus and um yeah so we get on the bus we get to panama city we all had a consolidation point there at the at the holiday inn right out in an immediate suburb of Panama City. And people were already on flights. Um, a lot of people kind of took it upon themselves to um, buy their own tickets and, you know, just kind of risking and reimbursed. But uh, so there are people already in the air and there's probably about 200 people left in Panama City from Peace Corps. So we get there and we start hearing people are getting flown out in the morning or in the afternoon the next day. And we're like, okay, no big deal. And then people start getting to the airport, and their flights are getting changed, their flights are getting canceled. So, you know, I start to... I, I have a pretty high tolerance for ambiguity, uh, being in the Peace Corps and being in AmeriCorps. So I was yeah. kind of just like, I'm living in this hotel now. <laughs> uh, so, so, it, so a lot of people had their flights canceled. There's still probably about, probably about 180 volunteers in the hotel and so like I said I got there on Monday and then on Friday finally we got a message saying that they're going to charter a private plane from Ecuador to pick us up and take us to uh, Miami then we're going to do commercial flights from Miami it was it was taken from the playbook of Peace Corps Ecuador they did the same thing Mm. Um, so we're all excited about that that's great and then we hear we're going to leave at noon. The flight plans are cleared with the Ecuadorian government, with the American government, with the Panamanian government. But when the pl- plane tried to take off from Ecuador, the Ecuadorian mayor of the town in which the airport was did not want that to happen. What? I, I saw that, and I saw the pictures, and we talked about them in the, the, yeah. the blog post. That is so bizarre. I, I think it was a I think the crew was Ecuadorian and he and the mayor didn't want the crew going to Panama, going to Miami and coming back and possibly bringing the virus with them. 
That I don't know. That's Give not what he break, said. Dude. That he guy is. I, <laughs> he I didn't literally hear that from his on, mouth. He drove yeah. onto the the tarmac, right? Like yeah, there were literally there was legitimate. They so right. So he didn't want them to leave. So what what he did in his uh, genius political mind, uh, he took a bunch of cars and parked them on the tarmac so they couldn't leave, and it worked, and they didn't leave. So we heard that. And lost a good amount of hope, and then um, <laughs> lost a good amount of hope. <laughs> lost a good amount of hope, and then finally we got a. They chartered a different plane to come from Miami to pick us up, and uh, that worked out. And my and the Peace Corps staff were they were on the phone the entire time, the entire all week. I didn't see my country director without a phone to her ear. They were just working as hard as they as hard as they possibly could and they were doing everything they could and to get all of our bank information done to get tickets for everybody it was it had to have been an absolute nightmare for them um our our uh our country director was it was her first time being a peace corps country director and she was young relatively speaking uh peace corps, peace corps country director she served in panama and she was only on the job for about six or seven months her name is Annie Gomaldes, and she she was a USAID contractor for a while before coming to this. But the the things that she made happen that week were just nothing short of miracles. That's awesome. Yeah. So we got to Miami, then we flew commercial home, and you know. Yeah. Big shout out to her. I mean. Yeah. Unbelievable. Seriously. So yeah, and just doing it, being able to do that in English and in Spanish. Coordinating with Ecuador, Panamanian government people, uh, American government—it was—it couldn't—it could not have been easy. I mean, yeah, nightmare scenario. Yeah. Almost as bad as trying to turn in receipts for FEMA. I, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's wild. So you got into Miami. Right. Where was the feel? I mean, you were go- in in less of a better term. I mean, you were going through like, like the most stressful, ambiguity-filled scenario you could possibly imagine. You get back to the States, did the outcome match the heightened awareness? Like, did, did, what I'm trying to say is, like, did, the, did that problem of how severe and how, how quick and how serious people were reacting, when you got back to the States, were you like, oh, that's why? Or were you like, really? Yeah. That was because of that? I mean, I knew it was serious. I knew, I feel like, th- I like asking people this question. When did you know the coronavirus was something serious? Um, mm. And for me, it was when they canceled the NCAA. Because I knew, I know how much money is behind just all, no, all those sports. Like how much money people are losing in it. They wouldn't do it if it wasn't serious. So that was the first real indicator for me That's that this was something. Yeah, and... You know, it, it's it was uh, that's how I knew it was something really serious. So when I got home and I saw my high school empty and no one on the streets and um, you know I couldn't see my friends. Uh, I still haven't. I haven't seen anybody from home. I just pretty much have. I've been inside of like three buildings since I've been home. Yeah. Uh, but um, so yeah, I felt that you know the right calls were made and um, yeah, I felt good about it. Not um, good about it, but, you know. Yeah, like it was the right call. Absolutely. It, yeah, the, the urgency met the situation. 
And back in uh, January, early February, I was having a conversation with another colleague and I noted that our very slow start to this is going to make a very long uh, response. Yeah. And lo and behold, I mean, things didn't really start moving till March. And I couldn't have been more grateful. And I think I talked about this on a video. I, I couldn't have been more grateful for the NBA. When the NBA yeah. said, we're done, two players, you know, are, are sick. And, I mean, that is so much money to, to say no to. I mean, the NBA has really screwed up a lot of things yeah. with their relationship, international relationships. We'll just leave it there. Not yeah. happy with that, but saying, hey, like money aside, we got to take care of this problem now. All these other pieces starting to, to fell. I mean, it was within a week being here in the States, like NCAA, yeah. like uh, things like conference. Um, uh, what was the Coachella got canceled, Austin City Limits got canceled. Like all in those, I think the first things I heard about getting canceled were Austin City Limits and the NBA in basketball. And that was before I really heard a a, very, a serious tone coming from the government. So that was a big shock for me as well. Yeah. And uh, to their credit, it gave a lot of other people the guts. I, I bet a lot of other yeah. people wanted to make the move. But totally. they, didn't, they didn't want to be that guy or that that, that it girl, gave them, right? Yeah, it gave them political cover. Yeah. And uh, the other person, I mean, your state, right? Ohio governor. I mean, that guy has... Yeah, absolutely. I, I... Yeah, it's been incredible. He can't... We, you know, in Columbus, we have the Arnold. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. He canceled that. I think that was early... Early March or late February, I really People don't know the date on that. People were not happy about that at the time. But they, but they canceled that, and um, I think they kept the competition, but they didn't have any spectators or they didn't have like the convention that it is, and um, that was a really bold move. And I couldn't be more grateful to have his leadership. For yeah, sure. he's definitely going to get uh, reelected. That's a reelected guy. A yeah, lot of other people absolutely either shouldn't get nope. reelected. <laughs> yeah, we I, there. I, I don't go too yeah. far into politics, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just uh, it's it is shocking a little bit uh, about the pace. A lo- uh, several people, to their credit, have corrected their pace. Yeah, um, and which is good. Is great. You know, yeah. people mess up. And I was talking to somebody else uh, from the national I met actually, who said any political leader would have probably botched this up. And it's the amount of like screw up, you know. Um, this no. is hard. This is very like there's this is unbelievably hard managing this crisis from that level. There's it's going to be this was going to be bad from the beginning. Yes. But right, like you said it was just how bad is it going to be in sometimes even for whom? Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the federal level. I'm talking about you know, either state or local level mm-hmm. not taking it seriously. I I could not believe Again, I try not to get into this too much, but I could not believe that the beaches in Florida were open for how long right. they were open. Then they closed for like, you know, somebody blinked and was like, oh, yeah, let's close them. And then, oh, never mind. Right. Like, Come on. Give me a break. Yeah. So, I don't know. I had, I knew somebody, so funny. I knew somebody that went down to Florida to hang out on the beaches. It's like, what are you doing down there? And they're like, well, you know, my state's closing down, so we uh, evacuated you know, quote signs, evacuated down to Florida. That is not how it works. That is not how... (laughs) That's not... 
you're the guy that's bringing it back to your state now. Right. You know? So exactly. I just thought it was kind of funny. Like, pe- people's awareness level, people who don't think about emergency preparedness don't realize that it's not just common sense. It's more than yeah. that. Um, there's a lot of yeah, data it involves, that goes- it, Yeah, it involves a definite amount of uh, critical thinking with your own behavior and um, oh. knowing who to listen to and what to do and things like that. Yeah. Freaking nuts. All right. So your takeaways. Uh, what do you want others to people? To, what do you want other people to know about your experience, uh, specifically traveling back or with COVID nineteen? That you were just like, please know this. Um. Well, from an emergency management perspective, when I got the two hundred and fifty text messages, I did no idea what what information was the most recent and what I didn't know you know what to do um so that just points out how critical the modes of information sharing are in moments like that so in my opinion what should have been done is we communicated 100% through whatsapp so something along the lines of a whatsapp group in which only one person can add to the group but everyone sees it and that's a normal thing that is done and just one person posting updates and what to do, where to be, things like that. Um, Can you change the color of text in WhatsApp? No. Oh. Well, you can make a bold, though. Ooh, maybe we should make an app that's a oh, bold. Oh, there you go. Bold it, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so just having a medium of communication that was specifically for the situation and for the evacuation was sh- should have been something... That happened, um, but I think there's two things I'd rather I want people to know about, or at least things I hope people know about this is that, with regard to Peace Corps volunteers who came back, um, it's you know like I said, their people's identity were kind of ripped from them. Um, this isn't anyone; it's not anyone's fault. You know, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but it's you know it's it's their problem now. And um, just going through these, um, getting and trying to get help from the government in terms of the stimulus checks and filing for unemployment. Just yesterday, it was it became known that Peace Corps evacuated Peace Corps volunteers could apply for unemployment. So yeah, there's been a lot of fighting for things like that with evacuated Peace Corps volunteers. Um, and then the second thing that I hope is different after this is I hope that this is starts a new approach to not only public health but also just foreign policy and international affairs um, I think that this is harder to you know move public position on because there's no antagonists you know this isn't a this is a tougher story to tell and sell and make into a movie but it's, you know, it's killed more people than Vietnam. It's killed more people than 9-11. And both of those two things changed American foreign policy for decades. So I think that this demands a, an entire restructure of the homeland security apparatus, or at least the priorities. You know, between this climate change and disinformation, we're looking at an entirely different landscape and environment of threats when it comes to homeland security 
especially threat detection. Yeah. Um, and this is this is also kind of a. I heard this. I heard. I think it was a Bill Gates thing yesterday, where this is, bad guys are taking notes, to how bad this is. Absolutely. You know? So, this is kind of educating people on. This is like the most chaotic, you know, in 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 war situation we've been in in my lifetime for sure. So, if I'm a bad guy, I'm taking notes. If you want to bring down a government. You don't blow something up. You destroy their economy. Yeah. That's how you really topple a government, is economy. And if you look about the resources that we have poured into um, fighting terrorism, it's economically speaking, it's a war we're losing. Right. Um, Absolutely. In terms of life, I mean, we're definitely winning that one. Screw those guys. Take them out. Um, And sometimes... You know, money's not priority one, obviously. Uh, but if your economy crumbles, I mean, goodbye society, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, you know, it, in if something like this is going on, and I want something bad to happen in the U.S., I'm. It's an easy place to put something like disinformation into the environment as well to. So even more chaos. All those seeds that were planted for misinformation that we've learned about, uh, they are now coming to flourishing. I mean, it would be a full-time job for me on social media just to correct my friends who are posting bogus information. Yeah. I think I had one outburst, and when I call an outburst, I texted them and said, take that down right now. It's absolutely absurd. Um, yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? It looked really professional. Yeah, that's the whole point, you know? Using yeah, and it's, speaking. it, it, um, the problem is that the people sharing it on Facebook, they're not the enemy, you know? Yes. They're just, you know, these people protesting in Michigan, protesting the state of home orders, these people are desperate to get back to work. They don't, it's not because they like working, it's because they need, they're hungry, you know what I mean? Because they yeah. have family de- that depends on them, you know, they're not the enemy. And there's been a lot of mistrust in media who sensationalizes everything, who hides behind, you know, the most powerful and justified amendment that we have of the freedom of the press, freedom of speech. Yeah. To use that as a crutch thing, I can say whatever I want. And so when you sensationalize everything and dramatize everything, people stop trusting you. Yeah, and this is... Yeah. Spreading disinformation like this is shouting fire in a crowded theater. And if nobody um, gets shot for a while, I had a friend who told me, well, this is, is it really that bad? Because I don't know anybody who's actually sick. So th- that's what that's the mentality, right? They stop trusting the information coming out. Right. And then they look at their minimal personal experience, and it's hard for them to judge reality. Yeah, exactly. In in you know my immediate friend group, most of them are teachers, so they're still you know they're still employed. But um, that's just that sample size is insanely small. I don't have yeah, <laughs> that <exactly>. many friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody wants friends. to see you. That's what I heard. right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I think, but where I see the solution lying in this is not closing borders, and. I meaning that meaning that literally and um, emotionally, um, 
only more cooperation would prevent something like this, and only more freedom of information um, would prevent something like this. This is like, everyone's comparing this to a war, you know, because that's when we can, you know, because that's when bad things happen. But this isn't like any other war because we're all on the same side. That's a really excellent point. I will say, though, if they would have closed all borders, all countries, this wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. And more importantly, if the country where it started to spread closed their own borders for the protection of other people, uh, instead of trying to hide it from the world, um, you know, if they would have done that, they would have protected everybody. Assuming a vaccine comes out in a time where it wouldn't hurt so bad that we're not getting trade, we're not getting, you know, the immigration that we depend on. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to me and being on here. If there was like one takeaway, like one other thought, one big, big idea that you, I mean, you've presented so many ideas already, which are phenomenal, right? Of like one team, one fight, how to message, how to get correct information out there. Um, is there anything that you want to tell the world? So the thing I want to tell the world, it would be to do what you're told right now. You know, my plan of action has been follow my governor on Twitter and just do what he says. Yeah. You know, I, I'm trusting the experts, and I think that's what everybody's got to do. There's a time to rebel, and then there's a time to follow. For right. Sure. Um, the other big, big idea I think uh, you were telling me earlier is to follow uh, this podcast, right? Like and like right. and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> if every, you know, if there's one thing to do, it's to like, rate, and subscribe. Cameron, thanks again so much for uh, talking to me, sharing your experience of the Peace Corps. You obviously have a very bright uh, career ahead of you. You've helped out so many people, both in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, I want to thank you. I'm sure other people are, are grateful for your service. And um, let's let's have you on here again some other time to talk more about. Uh, those big issues that we talked about today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, me. everybody. If you can like and subscribe, as Cameron noted, we would love to, to hear your feedback. If you want to send us some questions or comments that you have for Cameron, you can uh, email us at info at dobermanemg.com. Again, that's info at dobermanemg.com.